This is Morning Air. This is about educating a people that for 40 years haven't been given the full truth. It's time now to speak the truth. When you do things to the best of your ability, keeping Jesus number one and doing everything you possibly can for His glory, that's a winner. You are called to make the light of Christ shine brightly in the world. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air with John Morales on Relevant Radio. It's Friday, January 14th, 2022. Good morning and welcome to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you this morning. On Fridays, we always remember the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Friday is also the traditional day dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. First of all, I want to check in with my colleague, Glenn Leverance. Glenn, as expected, we talked about it yesterday on the show. It, it was a split decision as the U.S. Supreme Court blocked Biden administration's COVID vaccine mandate for businesses of 100 employees or more in a 6-3 ruling while allowing it to be enforced for the separate mandate for health care workers in a 5-4 decision. Uh, Glenn, what's been the, the reaction? Well, it was a big day, big day. Uh, it was a week ago that the court first heard these arguments, and uh, here's how it breaks down. And so the uh, private employer mandate uh, with OSHA in charge of making the call on that has been struck down, and so there's no longer the mandate for that. Healthcare workers uh, still required. Uh, there is the mandate in place for that. And also for many that work for government contractors, companies they might not even realize necessarily are, are tied to the government. That's a separate ruling, and that was ruled by a lower court to be put on hold, and that still remains at that spot. Yet the Supreme Court did not rule on that yesterday. But for the majority of people now, the mandate not in place any longer. And obviously, this was a, a big deal, uh, which mu much anticipation. Listen to GW Law Professor Jonathan Turley uh, with his reaction to the Supreme Court's vaccine mandate ruling as heard on Fox News. Well, this is what some of us predicted after the oral argument. I was struck by the different uh, tone and substance of the questions being raised by the conservatives between the two cases. On the health facility cases, we justices acknowledged that there was a closer nexus there and did not as, as seriously push back on the larger mandate. It's really the OSHA case that is the more significant mandate for uh, the Biden administration. It was that mandate that President Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, uh, celebrated as a, quote, workaround. Uh, the White House could not get a mandate from Congress. Uh, they initially said that they thought they might have authority for the president to order a mandate, and then they acknowledged they did not. And then Klain uh, retweeted that we found a workaround. We'll have OSHA do it. And this could affect up to 100 million workers. Well, a flag was just thrown on the play. I mean, the Supreme Court justices continually asked, for the authority that it was being used here. And they referenced Ron Klain's statement. Mm. And as I've said before, the, the justices are not into workaround, you know, because it's a workaround constitutional authority. They want authority. A flag was thrown on the play. Glenn, your thoughts? 
<laughs> well, uh, you know, we love the football analogy there, don't we, with the playoffs coming up Absolutely. this weekend. But uh, many folks have been waiting to find out what's been going on. Uh, actual enforcement of this has been kind of on hold in many companies, uh, not knowing exactly how to go about that, uh, not wanting to lose workers, not having tests available as an alternative for those who did not want to get the vaccine. And, you know, at the same time, Omicron is uh, running wild across the country. We, <clears throat> excuse me, do need to be safe and smart with how we how we deal with that. But uh, this will give a lot of workers, I think, a little more security about their jobs moving forward. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate uh, your insights and obviously much more uh, a little bit later on. Uh, thanks, Glenn. Hey, sounds good, John. As always, uh, first things first, we start uh, every show, every hour, giving thanks to our Lord through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death, Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit here on Morning Air when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life is from 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who calls you to account for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. As Catholic Christians, we need to always be prepared to give a reasoned explanation for what we believe in, why we believe it. There will no doubt be situations where someone asks you, why do you believe that Mary is the mother of God or that the Holy Eucharist is more than just a mere symbol? We need to always be ready to answer, but with charity and clarity, with gentleness and respect from whomever challenges us about our Catholic faith. Know your faith, know what scripture, tradition, and the catechism teaches, but always do it with respect. And we pray with great confidence, Jesus, I trust in you. Our number, if you want to be part of the program, part of the conversation, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now, this morning, we're starting a new feature. We're going to begin recommending movies that you and your family can watch uh, on any given weekend. Today, we're going to talk uh, about the Disney animated musical movie Encanto. Listen to a portion of the trailer. Many years ago, this candle blessed our family with a miracle. Our house, our casita, came to life with magic. Hola, casita. Four! Four! Let's go! In time, every member of our family... Cecilia, up top! ...was given their own magical gift. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I understand you. I'm not super strong like Luisa. The donkey's got out again. On it! Or effortlessly perfect like Senorita Perfecta Isabella. But, Mama, why am I the only one that didn't get a gift? You're just as special as anyone else in this family. Even in our darkest moments, there's light. 
And now joining us is Juan Carlos Sanchez, the founder of Family Playland, for much more on Disney's Encanto. Juan Carlos is a corporate entrepreneur with a career track record in the international Hispanic media and entertainment industries, working for brands such as Colgate, Palmolive, uh, Visa, Sony, and NBCU. He's a Catholic father of two and a, a aficionado triathlete and marathoner who lives in Cooper City, Florida. Good morning, Juan Carlos. Welcome back to the morning air good to be with you once again here in the new year good morning john how are you uh happy new year for you and your audience hope everything is starting with a right step for you guys well thanks so much uh first of all uh, your impressions of uh this movie encanto from disney tell us about the movie uh, give us a little bit about the the storyline without giving it all away absolutely yeah i mean as a as a Colombian, it was uh, interesting to see how this thing now is going to project a little bit of the, the culture. Um, and basically, as, as your trailer, your your initial intro was showing, it was basically the typical uh, positioning that Disney will put out when they launch this um, type of uh, uh, movies. A um, lot of marketing behind it, big actors, big names. Um, but overall, it was very tough to understand. I had to do the exercise uh, towards the end of the year. I didn't bring my family initially to the theaters to, to watch it, uh, although I was really wanted to bring them, obviously because of the Colombian heritage. I was tempted, but I had to put a pause into that, uh, and it created a lot of discussions internally among friends and family uh, just to discern if it was worth for us to put money behind the movie or not and I'd pay give money to the box office well my antenna definitely went up when i heard about this movie because i too uh, am of uh, colombian heritage my, my parents are both from colombia and so i am 100 uh, percent colombian descent uh, although born uh, in the windy city in chicago so uh, t- tell us about the 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 uh, the scene there uh, in colombia some of the scenes uh, uh, in this movie this disney movie encanto Yes, absolutely. Like uh, the first thing was, I, I will change the the title of the movie to something like "Where Is the Family." Um, I, I I think there's there's an attempt to kind of um, change the, the the traditional essence of the family with the presence of the of a father figure. The mom was there, uh, but there was no father figure ever uh, present in the movie. Although it was positioned as a family movie right because that's that's uh, the way to, to to call in and draw in audiences but it was difficult uh to find that first element where is the family um isn't two, that kind of consistent what we're seeing from hollywood and uh from the mainstream media this downplaying of the family uh the, the father is is no longer prominent uh, as an example as, as what you saw here in this movie so there was no surprise. I think you're right. It's kind of trying to normalize a new way of looking at the family or try to uh, change uh, the way the family is supposed to, to, to be constituted or is constituted by the Bible and the tra- Catholic tradition. So definitively there's a, there's a counter uh, push of what the traditional family values are more from a moral perspective, right? So, so there's an attempt to do that. Uh, secondly, obviously, this is full of uh, realismo magico and, and the Maconda story, which is very traditional of uh, what Gabriel Garcia Marquez will do from a, literature, from a literature perspective. But again, I think there's a lot under the skin that the movie 
shows. Um, and Magico, of course, people. the Spanish for magic, uh, which is not really part of our Catholic Christian tradition. That is correct. That is correct. The whole thing is about, yeah, it's about witchery. Um, again, it's, it's like very subtle, very joyful, very smooth, very like the, the emotions that are put in there is very, is very bright. It's a very bright movie. It's not dark. So it's kind of a, it's, it's quite a schizophrenic what I saw there. And it was actually very difficult to follow the story. Because there was no core story, there was like a a lot of different stories happening, storylines happening at the same time. But uh, the only thing that was common, though, is the struggle of of of, of a, a kid feeling different from the rest. So you you do they do uh, express that there in a very psychological way of what probably a queer uh, person will feel when they're a part of a, of their social environment, especially in a Latino culture. So there were a lot of elements under the skin that do point out that even the, the bisexual uh, character, uh, Stefano Beatriz, I mean, they, they, they're picking very well their characters. They're picking, when you, you want to do a deeper analysis of these movies, you go into who is the casting and, and definitely that queerness that uh, is, is present in the movie all over from start to end. That was the only consistent thing I was able to grab out of it. It sounds uh, like uh, they're promoting this whole uh, Latinx uh, mentality, something that has been so strongly rejected, uh, according to all the surveys and polls uh, by the Hispanic community. Where the Latinos as a whole uh, reject this idea of Latinx. Yes, uh, I think uh, what they're trying to do here is in a very subtle way. I mean, the, the, the concerning part, I mean, you're an adult, I'm an adult, I'm watching it. I'm not sure I want to buy this movie and put, expose my kids to watch this uh, 60 times, right? Because that's the, the issue with kids. Um, when they come in, they're going to watch in high frequency loads this movie. So um, I'll be, I mean, it's nice. It's, it's, it's a good uh, for families. I, it's, it's, it's a nice movie, but I will not recommend buying it uh, from my perspective personally. Uh, and, 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 and be very like, you know, um, careful about uh, what you're, we're, your the waters you're drinking from this and nowadays i mean definitely um there's a lot of elements that have to be uh, taken with a grain of salt here and and again i think there's a little bit of um uh, cultural appropriation and this starts probably with the previous movie coco uh, the mexican one i spoke with a lot of people in the catholic uh, circles also some of my neighbors, they're Muslims, and, and, and they're, they say, listen, this doesn't represent the core values of a family. Even It's not a religious thing. It's just it doesn't represent the core values. And I think that this movie, obviously, it's not surprising, but it's going on those same, uh, the, that same track. In many ways, and I haven't seen the movie yet, I've only seen the trailer uh, and read about it, uh, it, it seems like you said it, it has uh, a, a, some uh, schizophrenic aspects because it has a little of everything, including a little bit of the traditional uh, Catholic Colombian culture with the abuelita, the, the grandmothers, and, and the family, but it, it really isn't a Catholic film. Absolutely not. Um, it's not. There are some elements. Uh, uh, one of my colleagues... Family played, and he did mention that uh, uh, there's a there's a there's a priest uh, uh, show cameo uh, in a couple of scenes, but he's just a decorative figure. Um, number one, number two, 
um, he's, he has no role in, in, in whatsoever in, in the life of the family, for instance. Uh, so that, that, that was kind of an interesting take that he had in the movie when we discussed it. Uh, and there's a lot of things. I mean, it does show some uh, typical Colombian, that a little bit of the of the style and the and the, the culture and the symbols of the Colombian culture, but definitely misses a lot of things. The, the only, if any, the rescuable thing of the movie was that it doesn't. Uh, uh, it it shows tries to show a positive view of Colombia and doesn't show the negative connotation of Colombia, the negative uh, fame that Colombia has for the last 40 years. Uh, no, no cartels. To Colombia. <laughs> or, or, there uh, you go. Drug traffickers in the movie. Absolutely. So that's probably one of the good things from a cultural perspective and from a Colombian image. Um, I think it was possible for Disney to do something like this. And they're trying to go with this narrative outside. So they, they started with Mexico. Uh, you can tell them they went to Colombia and they just picked some... Um, a large market, something that that will flow nicely from a from a sales point of view. So they did that, and uh, they did uh, have some Colombian characters. It was a mix of Puerto Ricans and Colombians. The music was not that great. Uh, Carlos Vives uh, did one of the songs, but it, it was not like a a big movie for Disney. It didn't it didn't get to that level overall in in uh, in a lot of aspects. Even from a technical point point of view, I think they used. Um, old uh, CGI machinery that was used for Moana. So they just reused that. So it didn't take the film to the next technical level. It was it was just, uh, uh, they re reused a lot of the assets that they have used in the past, uh, from a technical perspective, I mean. And so, uh, Juan Carlos, your message uh, for parents that are looking for a good movie, uh, perhaps uh, this is not the one. Absolutely, there's there's a lot of content out there, definitely with much more values, um, building uh, stories uh, to watch, to dedicate time, to build your family right, to be able to, you know, uh, take advantage of, of the time that you have in your hands to build your family, especially if you have kids of that age. There's a lot of other options out there that you could look for uh, uh, in the market and, and, and skip on this one. Juan Carlos, this ties in uh, perfectly to what you're trying to accomplish uh, with Family Playland. Uh, just briefly tell us how, how, how's that um, enterprise going? Uh, we keep moving ahead. Finally, we have right now a beta version that people can access at www.familyplayland.com. And uh, there will be a reference. Uh, we're, we, the team is curating uh, uh, more hours. We've been able to close the uh, contracts and, and, and bring in curation. Uh, we've been able to curate content from uh, different areas around the world. So we have some French content pouring. We have um, content coming in from Mexico right now. We have had the chance to upload and have uh, pro-life content as well coming up, the movie 40. Uh, so we, we've been able to 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 start bringing in content that has uh, is wholesome, has family values, that is morally constructive, that, that respects the integrity of families, and that is positive. It's a light in the world, and I, we believe that there's a uh, uh, big audience here in America for this type of content, and it's moving ahead very nicely. Uh, we have uh, members rolling in now, so that's, that's fantastic. 
Great news. Uh, I can't help but think of uh, our hero, St. John Paul II, who said the future of humanity passes by way of the family. And so the movies that the family watches is very important. Uh, Thanks so much, uh, Juan Carlos, for uh, sharing with us for your insights and your perspective. Appreciate it. No problem, John. Thank you so much. Juan Carlos Sanchez, the founder of Family Playland. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. We'll go behind the scenes of Relevant Radio with our very own Paul Sadek, the host of Daybreak and longtime member of the Relevant Radio team. Stay with us. There's much more to come straight ahead as Morning Air continues after this. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. Coast to coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. She got the way to And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance. Great to be with you this morning once again. A number, if you want to be part of the program, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Now we're going to continue our series behind the scenes at Relevant Radio as we introduce you to some of the many people that work so hard every single day to bring Christ to the world through the media. Today we're joined by the host of Daybreak, Paul Sadek, Relevant Radio Network producer who served with local and network production and on-air hosting of local shows for a long time. He joined the Relevant Radio team way back in the beginning of Relevant Radio in 2003. In fact, I start every single morning at 4 a.m. Central tuning in to Paul Sadek hosting Daybreak while I'm getting ready to leave for the studio to host Morning Air. I never, ever miss it. Did you get a good night's sleep? I hope so. Good morning, I'm Paul Sadek. It's Daybreak on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's time to begin this day of prayer, the liturgical day, as we join with the whole church. We're led by our friends at DivineOffice.org in the Invitatory Psalm and the Office of Readings. Lord, open my lips. And And my my mouth will proclaim your praise. Come, let us worship the Lord. The Lord is our God. Yes, indeed. And we're now joined uh, by... Paul Sadek. Uh, Paul, good morning. Great to be with you live here on Morning Air. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Wow, those things are familiar, John. And you and I go way, way back in Relevant Radio. In 2003, you were doing the sports break on Morning Air, and I was doing local news on the Twin Cities Relevant Radio stations in Chaska, Minnesota. Unbelievable how time flies. Absolutely. <laughs> it I, does, yeah. I remember those days. It's hard to believe how far we've come since then. I've got a, a little surprise for you uh, right. right off, off the top. Uh, someone you know very well uh, joining the conversation. 
Paul Sadek, this is your life. <laughs> hey, Paul, uh, Glenn checking in here. I tell you, the three of us all started. This is the 20th year now for the Relevant Radio Network with original programming. 20th calendar year we're all involved in and started way back. And uh, we all had great high school internships is all I can say, I guess. But, uh, John, did you know one of Paul's special talents? Now, we joke a lot, mostly during the pledge drive, about my pretty much inability to play the accordion. But uh, Paul actually has some real musical skill when it comes to the auto harp. And you aren't going to hear any this morning. I'm I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> Cue it up, Mariano. <laughs> it's over in the other room, but but uh, you aren't going to hear it this morning. I love it. Well, it's it's great to to be with you live. You have no idea. In fact, I, I think I mentioned to you at the at the Christmas party where we uh, finally were able to see each other after uh, quite some time. You have no idea how much I appreciate your show, Daybreak. Every single morning, I put on my old fashioned Sony Walkman so I don't wake up the rest of the household <laughs> and I, and and not use up the batteries on my iPhone. Otherwise, I'd be listening on the app. Uh, as I listen to you to get ready for work, the only time that I miss is when I. I jump in the shower because I don't have a waterproof Walkman. Oh, that's when you're missing the best part. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm sure it's the best part that you're missing. Well, you know, the I think daybreak is a great way to start the day because we we start out with, with the liturgy of the hours. It's the prayer of the church. This was something Father Rocky asked me to incorporate into the show morning prayer and the office of readings and the invitatory psalm and it's something that we didn't have on relevant radio before 2011 when daybreak got going my how time flies <laughs> that's coming up then on 11 years now it's it's hard to believe. Well, uh, the the show is very uplifting. It really kind of for me it sets the tone for the day. Uh, it reminds me of the importance of uh, just spending a few moments in prayer. You know, uh, praying oh, the, the morning offering and then uh, doing the the prayer of the church uh, with your show every every single mor- morning. Tell us. I know you mentioned Father Rocky. How did the whole thing develop? How did Daybreak uh, get off the ground from idea to what we have today? Well, in 2011, Father Rocky approached me and he said, I'd like you to develop a daily show incorporating the Liturgy of the Hours and a reading from In Conversation with God by Father Francisco Fernandez Carvajal. And uh, so I spent a couple months developing and uh, came up with a demo and uh, a consortium of folks in uh, Green Bay sat and listened to the demo and they said, let's do that. And I said, okay, there's our first show. So, uh, you know, it's just gone from there. We've made a few minor tweaks here and there along the line. Heck, in 11 years, you're bound to change a few things. We we now have a a great feature that we added just a a few months back called uh, 10 Minutes with Jesus, which uh, is 17 different priests from around the world who uh, who give a, a daily meditation on the gospel of the day. I listened to it this morning. In fact, uh, I uh, really uh, made sure to listen to your show this morning, knowing that we were going to be chatting. Uh, it, it's all such really, really good stuff. And I imagine the average folk has no idea the amount of uh, preparation and the production that goes into putting together a one-hour show like Daybreak, well, day well, in and so day true. out, I, you know, every day I, of the week. I have people come to me and say, 
oh, oh, that's so good. I'm sure you have people doing this for you. And I say, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, it's all done by me. I, I put it all together here in, uh, in the Golden Valley studio in, uh, right outside of Minneapolis at Relevant Radio. If uh, anybody who's listening and is a fan of Paul Sadek and Daybreak, uh, if, if you want to give us a call, if you listen live in the morning, if you're an early, a really early bird central time and you listen at 4 a.m. live or perhaps on the relevant radio app, I have a comment or question uh, for our very own uh, Paul Sadek. Give us a call, 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. We have open lines right now as we speak. Uh, uh, Paul, let's, let's go back uh, to your earlier days, and we can continue talking about daybreak um, momentarily, but uh, you're an adult convert to the Catholic faith uh, yes, way sir. back in 1978. Yes, Tell sir. us uh, what inspired you, what motivated you to become Catholic? Well, I, it's something I had felt a draw towards, oh, from about my high school years. <laughs> I blame my Protestant pastor for telling me too much about the Catholic faith. And when when people say, Oh, you became Catholic because your wife was Catholic. Well, no, that's not quite true. I married a Catholic girl, and that became an external excuse to look more deeply into what had been drawing me for several years. And I, I, I prayed, Lord, if this is where you want me, you got to send me the rest of the way. And he did. So here I am. I've been Catholic since... Oh, what are we talking now? 1978. Uh, eight, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Well, you, you've come a long way, and uh, obviously uh, back in the early days uh, when you started in radio and, and television to, to start th this journey, did you ever imagine the Lord would use all those experiences to uh, bring you to where you are today? Can you give us a little thumbnail of your early uh, background before you joined Relevant Radio? Oh, gosh. Well, I, I went to uh, Brown Institute, which is, is no more, but it was uh, a fairly prominent broadcasting school in Minneapolis. And uh, from there, I uh, went to Mason City, Iowa, Sioux City, Iowa, Yankton, South Dakota, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And uh, while I was in Sioux Falls, I took five years off to serve as communications director for the uh, Catholic Diocese of Sioux Falls. And uh, I, I got to thinking, gee, you know, there must be some way to incorporate the Catholic faith into radio. And then Relevant Radio came along, and I said, hey, this is it. And my wife said, you, you'd better send an application. So here I am. I've been here ever since. How did you get hooked up with Relevant Radio? How did you hear about it? Actually, uh, tell us it about a... the, your your very uh, early days. I, I'm sure you were on, on board uh, when it was right at the very, very beginning when we were just Almost a handful of little yeah. stations in the about Midwest, uh, in places like Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And and we're still on in Eau Claire and La Crosse. Matter of fact, one of my uh, responsibilities is to uh, handle light, and I stress light, technical oversight of the Minneapolis, Eau Claire, and La Crosse stations. So, yeah, I'll get an automated phone call in the middle of the night that one of the stations is off the air or something. But uh, uh, how did I get started with it? Well, it was a friend of mine online who pointed me to Relevant Radio's website, and he said, I think they're looking for people in Minneapolis. And uh, that, that was it, you know? 
that was the, uh, Minneapolis was was originally my home, and so it was wonderful to be able to come back here. Paul, I can't remember, and we're joined by uh, Paul Sadek, network producer for Relevant Radio and the host of Daybreak that you can listen to every morning if you're an early bird at 4 a.m. Central here on Relevant Radio. Uh, Paul, I can't remember, were you on hand uh, from the very first day, the the launch when Morning Air became the first network show on no. April 21st, no, 2003? Months. I came a few months later. I, I started in October of 2003. Okay. Uh, morning air had been going for a few months by that time. Absolutely. So, uh, it, it, tell me what what was it like in those early days? Uh, what what were you focusing on and doing uh, in in the early days of relevant radio? Well, in the early days, uh, we we were just trying to uh, develop uh, an image, you know, to uh, uh, let people know, hey, this is this is where you're going to find your faith. And if you don't know your faith, stick around. We'll help you learn it. Uh, and uh, uh, we did a lot of uh, local news and uh, traffic reports and so forth. We've since uh, uh, gotten away from that. But uh, uh, as I say, things change over the years. What kind of reaction uh, have you received uh, from uh, our listeners uh, about your show, Daybreak, uh, and what it means to them uh, to be able to pray with the church and start their day um, in prayer? Well, the uh, one that impressed me the most was a deacon friend of mine, and here's a shout-out to Deacon Mitch Rennix out in Escondido, California. Um, he... <laughs> I, I didn't know Deacon Mitch uh, before he wrote me an email, and it's what I, you know, laughingly refer to as a fan email. And he was thanking me for uh, helping him commit to the Liturgy of the Hours and uh, asked me if I'd give him a call. So I gave him a call that afternoon, and uh, within about five minutes, we were old pals, and we sat and ratchet jawed for about 45 minutes. And then uh, that summer, I went out to visit him, and uh, so uh, I, I've got I've got people from from all over. It's just wonderful to hear from them, and I've got people listening live. Uh, what amazed me was when we moved the show to four a.m. and someone in Los Angeles said, "Oh, it's wonderful! Now I can listen to it on my way home." And that's two a.m. in Los Angeles. Wow, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is an early bird, or they're they're up all night. But I do have uh, quite a few people listening to the podcast, and that's been a godsend as far as as far as daybreak is concerned. And from what people tell me, it's been a godsend to them too. Paul, um, you've been there from the early days. Are you amazed uh, by the growth of Relevant Radio, uh, going it from just a few ceases. stations to where we are today, nearly two hundred stations, coast to coast? Never ceases to amaze me. It, it just keeps growing and. As as uh, we keep on saying, you know, God must have a purpose for us here because we just keep on going. We have time for a real quick call. Martin is joining us uh, from Boston. Boston, um, uh, Martin, make it quick. Hi, Martin. Hey, good morning. Morning. I just wanted to say, uh, Paul, on Saturday mornings, I like how you uh, honor the Blessed Mother with that music. Um, I wake up early just to get that. Uh, I, I listen to you every morning. Oh, thank so you I so much. You do. I always try. You do. I always try to make Saturday special for for our Blessed Mother. Yes. Yeah, you God got a good selection. You. Yeah, I appreciate it. 
Thank you, Martin. Thank you so much, Paul. And uh, thanks, thanks so much for everything that you do uh, for uh, Relevant Radio. Uh, you you really set the tone for the entire day with your show. Uh, I try to give you. A I know good this lead reporter in. truly appreciates it. <laughs> John, it's been a pleasure. I I hope we can do this again sometime. Uh, absolutely. Thanks so much. Paul Sadek, the host of Daybreak, longtime Relevant Radio Network producer. We need to take a short break when Morning Air returns. We'll uh, be back with uh, much more as uh, Bishop Daniel Muggenberg will look ahead to this Sunday's gospel. Stay with us. There's much more to come. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit relevantradio.com forester. From Maui to Maine, you're listening to Morning Air with John Morales. Coast to coast on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I've got sunshine. And welcome back to Morning Air on another Friday dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. I'm John Morales. It's good to be with you. And now it's time to look ahead to this Sunday's Gospel. Always keep in mind that the Word of God in the Gospels, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, is powerful. When the Gospel, the Book Eternal, is proclaimed, Christ is passing by. Jesus is speaking to you. So listen carefully, folks, as Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, Bishop of Reno, Nevada, shares his weekly reflection on this Sunday's Gospel with our very own Glenn Leverance. Our Gospel reading for the second Sunday in Ordinary Time comes from John chapter 2. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washings, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told them, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. And so they took it. And when the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine without knowing where it came from, although the servers who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first, and when the people have drunk freely, an inferior one. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs at Cana in Galilee, and so revealed his glory, and his disciples began to believe in him. And now time for an in-depth look at that gospel reading. Again, it comes out of the second chapter of John for the second Sunday in Ordinary Time, taking a look this time around at our Lord's first recorded miracle at the wedding at Cana. Here for that look, Bishop Daniel Muggenberg from the Diocese of Reno, Nevada. Bishop Muggenberg, always great to have you along. And great to be here, Glenn. Well, here we see this, uh, again, first recorded miracle of our Lord, but it's about much more than just, you know, filling up those jars with wine. Absolutely. You know, this miracle initiates Jesus' public ministry in the Gospel of John. And so it's much more than just one thing that happens in the life of Jesus. It it really sets the stage for so many things that are going to take place, uh, not just in the life of Jesus, but what Jesus wants to happen in our lives as disciples and in the life of the church itself. And uh, he uses this, this setting of the wedding at Cana as the opportunity to present these very important teachings to us. Well, I love that the wine is not really wine when we look at it in the larger sense. It really is that that joy that we need. 
Yeah, you know, in today's world, wine is just one more thing that we incorporate into our, you know, culinary life, really. But in the ancient world, um, wine was such a treasured uh, experience because uh, it was, as you said, it was much more than, you know, just a simple beverage that you had with a meal. Wine was really a symbol of joy and happiness and celebration and all those things that really made life worth living and, and enriched it. And this passage is telling us that we can do all the human planning we want to, but at a certain point, our human wine is going to run out. And that's okay as long as we are trusting in Jesus and we are asking him for a new and more abundant wine, a better wine than the wine that we provide for ourselves. And this gospel passage tells us that Jesus is there and he wants to provide that for us. But he has to be present in our lives in order for us to be able to receive that. And uh, and that's uh, you know one of our responsibilities is to always invite the Lord into our lives every day. Um, so he's not there by accident. He's there by invitation. I was at a fairly large wedding recently, and I I think that even today, uh, <laughs> without it being written down in Scripture, uh, we depend on God's grace to make a large wedding happen. And uh, a lot of people to help, whether it be uh, the wisdom of the ages coming in or some young, strong people to make things happen or just somebody remembering something the bride forgot. And uh, we, we can't do it on our own. As with so many things in life, uh, including our spiritual life, we, we can't do it on our own and we're, we're not made to do it all on our own either. No, and that's that's really meant to be good news for us, the fact that we are created to be interdependent upon God and upon one another. And that's what really makes us a human family, a human community. God didn't create us in isolation or intend us to live in our, you know, strict individuality and self-sufficiency. Those are unhealthy myths that our culture teaches us that ends up, um, you know, isolating us and even making us judgmental towards one another. Now, this passage teaches us that we are fundamentally dependent um, and that our own capabilities uh, will be unable to sustain us to face all the challenges of life. And as you say, you know, that's good news when we realize that God is there for us and that God wants to be there for us. So it is okay that our wine runs out. We should do everything that we can within our human capacity as long as we're cooperating with God and depending ultimately upon God's grace and mercy first and foremost. If the equation calls for us to be dependent on others, and then when it's our turn to be those others, what makes that uh, that equation work is, is our obedience, ultimately. Yeah, that's very true. Um, the obedience of the uh, servants in this passage is really meant to be instructive for us. Um, in fact, John goes out of his way to tell us that um, the servants did as they were instructed, and when Jesus tells them to fill the jars, we're told they filled them to the brim. So the so the waiters um, or the servants are so obedient to following the instructions of Jesus, whether or not those instructions made sense. And that sense of obedience to the word of Jesus is going to be something that is a defining hallmark of a disciple in all of the Gospels, but especially in the Gospel of John. Um, And so do whatever he tells you. That's the fundamental command of discipleship. Trust in his word without requiring that Jesus prove himself constantly to us. We trust in his word. And it's that faith that trusts in the utter word of Jesus that Jesus is looking for throughout this Gospel of John. 
Interesting thought, too, about Mary's interaction with our Lord here. And uh, one of those is, again, like you just said, the, the instruction to the helpers to do whatever he tells you. Yes, in John's Gospel, John really um, introduces the person of Mary uh, in the life of Jesus at very key moments, very selective moments. In fact, we really only hear about Mary's presence in this scene at Galilee when she intercedes uh, for the couple in their moment of distress uh, and at the cross where she stands there um, receiving um, you know, he, Jesus hands over his spirit, so she receives that spirit with the beloved disciple. So Mary um, appears as the mother of Jesus in very critical moments in his life and ministry. And John is trying to teach us something about the ministry of Mary, not just in the life of Jesus, but the ministry of Mary that she continues as part of God's great intended economy of salvation in the life of the church today. So in a real sense, we're missing out as disciples if we are not including Mary um, in our guest list for each day. You know, each day we are living out our betrothed relationship to Jesus in the covenant of discipleship, the new covenant of his blood. And if we're not including Mary in our daily life and activities, then we're missing out on her maternal care, her intercessory power that she can have for us just as she had for this couple at Cana. We're taking a look at Sunday's Gospel reading for this Sunday, the second Sunday in Ordinary Time, the story of the wedding at Cana reflected in the second chapter of John. So many things happen here at the start of Jesus' public ministry. What's the the best thought as to, to why it happened at a wedding when it could have happened in so many different ways? You know, that's a really good question. Jesus could have chosen so many settings for his first miracle. And as we read the other Gospels, we do see that the other Gospels point out different settings for his first miracle. I think that John's Gospel is stressing um, and emphasizing our need to live in an abiding relationship with Jesus, an abiding relationship which is a communion of life and love. And when we think about what an abiding relationship in a pure communion of life and love looks like, in reality, the only image that we have in our human experience is that of marriage. To describe that kind of um, relationship of abiding life and love, a fullness of commitment, a fullness of sharing that Jesus wants to have with us. And so in many ways, the image of marriage as the relationship of Christ to the church is something that was um, really esteemed and developed within the life of the first century uh, Christian community. We hear it in the writings of St. Paul, um, where, G- where Paul uses the image of uh, marriage to describe Christ's relationship to his church. And even in the Synoptic Gospels, you know, Jesus will say, how can the guests uh, mourn while the bridegroom is still in their midst? So Jesus will use image of, images that are come from marriage imagery to describe the relationship that he wants to have with us and the covenant relationship that he, he really seeks with the church. So I think that this image of him coming to the wedding at Cana um, is really much more than just a celebration he happened to show up at. I think he's using this to set the stage for the kind of relationship that he wants to have with us throughout every day of our lives. And throughout much of Scripture, uh, especially uh, St. Paul talks a lot about marriage as a, a great analogy for how we get along as the church with Christ. 
Very true. You know, one thing I do want to point out about this passage that I think we all need to reflect on, and that is that we are told specifically that both Jesus and Mary were present because they had been invited. And I, I think that as as Christians, we need to really pay attention to the people that we're inviting to be a part of our lives each day. And I say that because um, that guest list of people that we're sharing our lives with are going to affect us and influence us. And that influence is not always in a holy way. Um, this couple at Cana experienced the grace of Christ, they experienced the intercession of Mary, they experienced the cooperation of the waiters and of the other guests because they had carefully put together their guest list. And because they were surrounded by a community that would care for them and intercede for them in their moment of need, their celebration was allowed to continue. We need to always have that supportive presence of others in our lives to help our celebration of faith and discipleship continue as well. And so I just encourage us as we start this new year to pay close attention to the people with whom you are sharing your life and make sure that there are faith-filled disciples who will pray for you, who will encourage you, and who will help you in your commitment to Christ. An excellent reflection on Sunday's gospel and the story of the wedding at Cana again, John chapter 2 is where you'll find it, verses 1 through 11. Bishop Muggenberg, if you'd be so kind as to wrap us up this week with your blessing. The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God, who desires to live in intimate communion with us each and every day of our lives, always fill us with his grace and love as he did the couple at Cana. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you, Bishop Muggenberg. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. With the NFL playoffs getting underway this weekend, a football story for you with practical application to our faith lives. Here, our story today called Following Orders. Roger Staubach, who led the Dallas Cowboys to the Super Bowl and a victory in 1971, admitted that his position as quarterback, where he didn't call his own signals, was a source of trial for him. Coach Tom Landry sent in every play. He told Roger when to pass, when to run, and only in emergency situations could Roger change the play. Even though Staubach considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind when it came to football strategy, Pride said that he should be able to run his own team. Staubach had a decision to make. Would he allow Pride to rule his life and ignore his coach, making himself the star, or would he listen to the coach and do what he wanted? Staubach later said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Isaiah 119, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Thanks so much, Glenn. I really appreciate the football angle. Great to hear. Uh, Roger Staubach, the great Roger Staubach's name once again. Now coming up uh, next hour on Morning Air, Catholic attorney Mary Helen Fiorito will join us to talk about the upcoming March for Life in Washington, D.C. and the many other marches for life that are going on across our nation. Plus, Kevin Voss, doctor in clinical psychology, Catholic author and professor, will be with us to discuss the gaming addiction in our children. It'll be a fascinating discussion. Stay with us. There's much more to come next hour here on Morning Air.